I'll just introduce myself. Um, I'm Will van der Hart, and I'm co-director of Mind and Soul. Uh, me and Rob go back a long way. We were students together at Cambridge. Um, we were undergraduates together. Rob was a little bit more mature in faith than I was, and he used to try and take me under his wing. And so uh, he'd take me out, out, out on holy bicycle rides, where uh, we would cycle out of Cambridge on our bikes into the countryside, and, and, and he would talk to me about, well, I need to get my lifestyle on track. <laughs> and uh, anyway, thank God for him, because uh, he's, he's really part of my story. But we came back together, um, I guess, about three years ago now, and we were just talking about uh, this whole issue of spirituality, mental health, uh, Christianity, mental health, what's it mean to be a person, what's it mean to be a human, uh, what's it mean to be a child of God made in his image, yet still limping, broken, and wounded. And that's where uh, I joined onto the, the mind and soul bandwagon. So um, if, you've, if, you've, if you've been with us for a while, you've been watching our blogs and things like that, we appreciate having that great connection with you. Well, I've been asked to speak uh, in this session on five things to do in a pastoral crisis. Now, it's a bit of a difficult uh, title to be given, to be honest, because it suggests that there's a kind of a coverall response. Five things you need to do in a pastoral crisis. When you think about classifying what a pastoral crisis is and how complex and how difficult and how multifaceted a pastoral crisis is, how on earth would someone presume to be able to stand up on the front of a stage and tell you what five things you need to do to check through the box? So if you thought I was going to answer all of your pastoral problems as a pastoral carer or someone involved in, in ministry uh, or service in the NHS, then I'm really sorry. I know I'm going to disappoint you. I can tell you that right now. But I'm resolved enough to say that early on in my seminar. I don't need your affirmation anymore. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm glad I'm getting some approval here from some of our pastoral carers. Um, what earmarks a pastoral crisis opposed to other pastoral contexts for ministry, is that a pastoral crisis is actually a crisis. It's something distinctive. And that means that a crisis situation has suddenly become apparent, even though it may have been building for some time. Actually, the kind of the, the tipping point between a normal pastoral difficult issue to deal with and a crisis situation, it, it's hard to distinguish, but there is actually a point where something takes on the nature of a crisis. It's transcended the normal structures and the perimeters of life and difficult times. And normally a crisis has actually got the genuine potential to threaten life, either to threaten the individual or those in their care, or to adversely disturb either their mental health or the health of those around them. So crisis has particular parameters that we need to be aware of, and a crisis is a distinctively challenging set of circumstances. We often speak to people who say, oh, I'm Vicar, I'm in a crisis. I'm having a crisis. And you're saying, well, well, what's the crisis? Oh, well, I'm just having a really bad week. It's a real crisis. And you're going, well, do you want to be more specific? Because you're getting all keyed up now and the heart's going and you're thinking, I'm just about to zip into sort of superhero mode to try and sort out your problems. Well... Well, it's just stuff, you know, it's getting on top of me. And, and you'll kind of go, well, okay, well, let's pray about that. And then it's okay, we can move on. The difference between that sort of pastoral crisis and a real pastoral crisis is really obvious. But if you're involved in pastoral care, you need to be able to make the distinction for your own benefit and for your own welfare. So the first P of my five Ps of pastoral crisis is perception. 
perception. Now, God has uniquely gifted you with the gift of perception, and you can frame that however you want. If it's insight in the power of the Holy Spirit, if it's wisdom through meditating on God's Word, if you've been asking what Solomon was asking for, you've got some wisdom, you've got some perception for how you're going to deal with certain circumstances as someone involved in pastoral crisis. The first of the five things to do in a pastoral crisis is to use your perception to assess what is actually happening. As pastors and leaders, our desire to help can often lead us to act before we've actually got a grip on what the true magnitude of the situation really is. When we're working with vulnerable people who often live with chaotic parameters in their world, we are always in danger of overestimating, or even more dangerously, underestimating the extent of the crisis which you're dealing with. There's a huge danger in us believing that an individual is overstating or understating the threats that they are actually facing. If we're not carefully tuned into the truth of their situation, then we may act to their detriment or just completely fail to act. Now, some of you will know what I'm talking about here uh, in Christian leadership particularly. It's the whole, uh, it's the whole kind of cry wolf experience. It's the sheep crying wolf And you're there and you're going, oh my goodness, another crisis this week. And then next week, another crisis. And then the week after, another crisis. And actually, that hardness of heart comes in, doesn't it? If we're honest, it's that, oh, oh, they're back again. And almost a slight avoidance at the back of church to kind of, oh, they're coming towards me. There's another crisis. But actually, there may really be another crisis. And this time, it may be a true crisis of great magnitude and significance And so we need to be aware of the need for perception in every circumstance we find ourselves in pastoral care. And when someone claims to be in crisis, it's our duty, our responsibility before the Lord to love that person and to listen to that person, whatever the circumstances and however we judge what's actually happening in the parameters of crisis. When I first began pastoral ministry, I often found myself exhausted, though, through misreading crises and responding in the wrong way. As my perception began to tune into the distinctives of what makes a crisis a crisis, I found I have been much more effective in my response that actually I'm not a crisis respondent anymore. I have some awareness, some sense of perception and Christian maturity which enables me to actually gauge what is happening and to respond accordingly. When we're setting out in pastoral ministry, I suggest that we assist our perception through the use of questions. So you might um, be very good at tuning in to the Spirit and going, yeah, I can see what's happening. And the Lord, doesn't he just reveal truth? He is truth, and he reveals truth in our pastoral ministry. But we, need to, we need to be with him and walk with him in the use of good pastoral questioning. I'll always remember the first time that this really came into play for me, when a really bright, smart, um, you know, just really great young guy came storming into my office with a backpack on his back. He was about 20 years old, and he was a man in crisis. He had probably everything that he owned in the back of this backpack, but he hadn't been living on the streets, and, 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 and he looked very fresh, and you know, I thought, oh, yeah, great to see you. I wasn't at all on my defensive guard. Do you want money? I was in the, great, what's wrong? I'm going to help you. Let's gonna, we're going to get this situation sorted. And we went into this meeting room where he rattled through an incredible story of family abuse, and I was horrified. I was absolutely shocked, and, and I was distraught myself. And it appeared that he'd literally been thrown out onto the streets by his dad. And now he was in significant danger, in crisis, without money or shelter. 
This was a crisis, but it wasn't actually the crisis that I thought it was. As a Christian, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to prompt our perceptions. And I always pray when I'm in pastoral ministry that God would filter the truth into my ears. Pray all the time. Pray without ceasing. Lord, I'm just open to you. What is true? What am I receiving? But not judgmentally, are you lying to me? But actually, Lord, I believe that this person is trying to share the truth with me. Let me receive the truth through your filter. As we move through the story, I asked one question that I've now used many times in response to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I asked it in this way. I hope you don't mind me asking, but I wondered if you'd ever experienced any mental health issues in your history. Now, some of us who work in mental health will be going, whoa, hold on, you can't ask that sort of direct question. In the pastoral context, that question unlocked the truth of a crisis. The young man in the story said to me, oh yeah, I've been sectioned three times. And actually, now I'm thinking about it, I haven't actually taken my medication for about a month. I remember sort of stepping back and going, oh, Lord, thank you. Now I know what you've asked me to do with this young man. It wasn't to jump back and go, oh, well, we're now we're going to check the truth of the story that you've just told me, and, and, and then I'm going to look really kind of, you know, judgmentally at you and sort of say, oh, well, it's not quite what you said, is it? It was through walking together in Revelation and actually saying, wow, you're in real crisis. And him saying, you know what, now we've started talking about it. I might be having what I've had before. And what's that? Well, it's this sort of manic thing, this sort of episode of stuff that happens and then all, everything kind of gets out of tune in my head. And so we went to the GPs together. I thought that was the right thing to do, to go and say, hey, well, I know what we're going to do. I'm gonna, we're going to go together to see your GP. We're going to walk there together. We're going to talk there together. And I'm going to make sure that, that we're, going to, we're going to have a good conversation with the GP in that, con- in that consultation. Now, he went on to become a regular member of our church congregation. And the crisis that was actually was an opportunity for God. The key thing about that approach was the use of perception. Compassionate questioning can give you helpful information, but it also corroborates the truth of the story. And when asking questions, we need to make sure that we're sympathetic but also that we're looking for the details. I always say to people who are are trying to work in pastoral care to make sure they ask the same question twice in the context of a long conversation. Just to make sure, just to check, just to give someone an opportunity to reaffirm what's actually going on and to tune in. And I think the art of listening is something that we've we've sometimes lost, particularly in the the evangelical church. The The art of listening, to be a sympathetic listener, that your pastoral crisis ministry begins when you open your ear, not when you open your mouth. That's it. Your pastoral crisis ministry begins when you open your ear, not when you open your mouth. Perception and perspective are always essential, both for the safety of the person you're trying to support, but also for yourself. As the old proverb goes, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. And so that leads me on to my second P in this scheme of five, that is protection. So perception and then protection. Crises are defined by places of danger, and they need to be treated with real caution. In terms of protection, I just want to subcategorize. There's obviously environmental issues of protection. Now, sometimes, particularly as Christians, we can put on our kind of great sense of strength in the Lord, and, you know, we can pull on our great big guns of prayer and walk into situations that the Lord would not have us walk into. Actually, we can actually be doing what God isn't asking us to do, 
and we can believe that we're acting as his agents rather than actually listening to what he's saying and walking in obedience as his servants. Servitude and submitting ourselves to the Lord as we walk into the pastoral crisis are essential. And he gives us eyes to see. Are you seeing through his eyes? In the environment, a crisis may mean that there's imminent physical danger to either the client or to the pastor. Obviously, if the environment that you're making contact in is in itself dangerous, you must relocate to a safe place. Now, you'll all be saying, yeah, I know that. If something's going to fall out of the sky or if, you know, wherever it happens to be in a house that's burning down, I'm not going to start doing pastoral counseling ministry there and then. But you'll be amazed at how we run in. Most of the physical dangers that present themselves in a crisis are actually present in the victim or in the client themselves. So, yes... Of course, survey the environment you're ministering in. Is it safe for you? Is it safe for the person that you're ministering to? For many people in crisis that we find ourselves working with will be under the influence of either drugs or alcohol. They may also be suffering from an acute mental health issue. And in that situation of extreme pressure and stress, the pastor can become vulnerable to physical assault. I still remember trying to help uh, a poor homeless guy just outside on the left-hand side of this building one day um, when I first arrived here in London, when I actually worked in this church. And um, I remember my wife meeting him first, and he was suffering from a number of different issues at the same time. And he was definitely a man in crisis. I remember running out, and I got really close to him, and I was talking to him, and I just thought, well, just, you know, just going to demonstrate some of the love of God to him, and we'll see if we can get some coffee. And, and then suddenly the situation turned. And I was just too close for comfort in that circumstance. And I found myself on the inside of the door, wrestling with a man on the outside of the door whilst he was shouting uh, things in my ear, which I won't repeat from the platform. And I remember sort of, as I was sort of wrestling on either side of the door, saying, I shouldn't really be in this situation, should I, Lord? You know, and, and, and it's just for your awareness. It does not mean that we need to approach every pastoral situation with suspicion, as if we're going to become a victim. That's not what I'm saying. What we need to do is use our perception to then be aware that we may need to use protection, both of ourselves and of the client we're working with. If you're in a crisis pastoral situation and your perception gives you a warning of potential danger, I cannot stress how important it is to actually act on that. It's amazing when people have feedback on a pastoral situation they've been ministering into. And they say, well, I did have a funny feeling I shouldn't go in there. And then you're like, well... What do, you, what do you mean? Well, I had this funny feeling, you know, I shouldn't go in, but I did. And you're like, going, well, your perception was telling you not to go in, so you went in anyway, and now you're telling me that there's been an, another crisis in pastoral ministry for you because you were in a situation of crisis and you didn't listen to what God was actually saying. You have to tune in, and you have to act to that still, small voice of calm. I'm sure I'm speaking to people with a, a, a huge number of years' experience of pastoral ministry greater than I have. And I'm sure your perception is much more truly, highly tuned than mine is. So I just want to say, you know, share that wisdom with what that means uh, with folk who are younger and less experienced than yourself. We need to also be aware of children and vulnerable people's protection. This is very, very important in our society. And it's important, you know, just for us as Christians, that we are doing the very best. We are being the most honorable, the most transparent, and that we are ticking 
all of the boxes of the legislation which we face. Again, as Christians, it's really easy, isn't it, to go, wow, you know, I've got my valid child protection policy, and I've, I've got all those policy documents locked away for good practice. I've never actually read them, but as long as I've kind of ticked the boxes, you know, that's all that matters. It's not all that matters. We aren't there to just kind of do enough. We're there to do more than enough. We need to be doing the very, very best for the people that we're looking after. In an intense crisis situation, especially with children and vulnerable people, Christian pastors can often be tempted to overlook fundamental uh, good practice. The fundamental good practice of the policies that are in place to protect the child and the carer and to go for an apparently more warm, care-driven approach. Actually, sometimes those policies mean that we have to stand back and say, you know what, I can't go any further than this. I can only stand out here with you. This is where I'm at. I can't sweep you up in my arms and give you a big hug and tell you it's all going to be okay. I can't put you in my car and drive away and you know, put you in a and b for the night. I can't do any of that. I have to use the systems and the approaches and the legal responsibilities that I have as a way in which I'm going to honor God. And I know where your heart is. Your heart's because you love the Lord and you actually want to express the love of the Lord to young, vulnerable people. I know that's where your heart is. I'm just saying we need to honor God by honoring the correct processes for protection. Now, there are also, as you will know, and you're all here, I'm talking to the converted today, which is great. I don't need to convince you of some of this stuff. But the emotional boundaries and transference are really important as well in terms of protection in pastoral crisis. Christian pastors are often exceptionally connected to the pain of their client. How many times have you found it when you've actually started praying for someone in a pastoral crisis and started crying yourself? How many times have you felt totally welled up inside and unable to move? Or the next day and the day after that and the day after that feeling really heavy, like you've just sort of, you know, you've got a, a ton of bricks strapped to your back and you're kind of wandering around and then, and then your kids come in and you're like, oh my goodness, now I've got to kind of be nice to them. Now I've got to be nice to my wife. Oh no. Now I've got to go to church and smile at other people. They don't know what I've gone through. I still remember doing chaplaincy work in the Churchill Hospital in Oxford. And I worked in the Linden unit, which was a, a unit for, um, for, for folk with uh, senile dementia. It was a senile dementia clinic. And, and I still remember this situation really, really clever. It was just, just the most awful pastoral situation that a total newbie could walk into. And um, there was a renal unit there, and a chap who was a vicar was in the bed. He had MRSA, he had had six or seven strokes. Uh, It was a kind of barrier nursing ward. I was just totally freaked out by the whole idea that I might catch something myself, which was about the protection issue. And I kind of, I didn't ask anyone what MRSA actually was at the time, you know. I just thought it was some strange thing that might be in the air. So I sort of tried to hold my breath as I went in. And, and as I stood alongside this, um, this bed where this poor child of God lay, his physical body in tatters, but his spirit still in love with the Lord, as he lay there, his wife, who was possibly the most angry woman I've ever met in my life, stood opposite me. Now, she is also a child of God who loved the Lord. And did she have a right to be angry? Oh, yes, she did. But as we faced each other, I represented to her a God who'd abandoned her husband. And as I tried to avoid holding on to anything or touching the bed for the sake of my own personal safety and neurosis, I stared at her, staring back at me, staring at him, and I was just completely overwhelmed. She didn't need to say anything. 
I just knew I was in over my head. I tried to come up with some sort of Christian platitudes, you know. Oh, well, let's pray for healing in the name of the Lord. Maybe I'll do a safe Anglican ritual that will make me feel better about myself. Do you know, really wasn't going to cut it. Wasn't really going to do the business. Wasn't actually what was needed or necessary. And I ran out of that room, literally. Eyes streaming, heart pounding, hysterical. Absolutely hysterical. I remember going home to my wife, having cried already for about three hours, and then just blubbing on the sofa. And I was like, but what's wrong? I was with a man. He was ill. It was awful. His wife didn't like me. There was incredible transference in the situation. There was incredible potency. There was pain. There was anguish. There was a sense of being destitute before the Lord. There was a sense of abandonment. And I had no perception. Actually, that woman had grace for me. And we spent a long time having coffees together and hot chocolates uh, in a cafeteria near the Linden unit. She didn't want me to try and explain what was going on. She just wanted to talk to me. She wanted to hear about my life. A little bit of joy, a little bit of something other than what she had to face day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. She wanted to use my ear, not my mouth. She wanted me to say, those who have ears, let them hear. Let them hear. Let them hear my pain. Let them share in my crisis. If you're regularly ministering or supporting people through pastoral crisis, you must establish wider structures for support and accountability. Otherwise, you will yourself end up in a place of crisis. All regular pastors and carers should have, I believe, at least one, one hour supervision each month. At least one, one hour supervision each month. Now, you might have to pay for that yourself, and I do. But I believe it's worth it. I believe it's worth it for my health, and my wife believes it's worth it for my health too. She knows that I'll be a better husband if I've spent time downloading the sort of rubbish that I'm picking up each day and actually giving it away to someone else and helping them to kind of help unburden me. That's their role. Now, (laughs) I just want to make this really clear. A supervision isn't where you go and try and help a counsellor to get through their issues. It's where you go to get rid of your issues. Some counsellors and supervisors that I know, they, they, they get chronic carers coming in who try to sort their lives out. You're going, I'm not about to stop telling you about my issues. You're supposed to be telling me about your issues. And anyone who believes that they can be in pastoral crisis ministry and not be affected by what's actually happening around them are, are actually in denial. And they need help. They need real help. If that's you, if you feel like, oh yeah, no, I'm fine, I'm just coping fine, can I just tell you, go and get a supervision straight away. Make it the first thing that you do. You need it. But not only do you need it, the Lord wants to lavish it on you. It might cost you £25. Well, the Lord's provided. You You need it because the Lord, he wants his servants to be equipped. And he doesn't want you to be burdened. And let me say, as a charismatic Christian leader, that coming to the front on a Sunday and receiving some prayer for five minutes doesn't suffice. You want me to say, yeah, 